Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Hello, Memphis. Uh, We are here with your weekly Meanwhile in Memphis episode. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I'm the president and CEO of New Memphis, and I'm here with my teammate, the other Anna. (laughs) The (laughs) O-G-A-T. This is Anna Thompson. Uh, We're here to, uh, every week, as we've said, to share stories of progress in our community, to introduce you to leaders who are making change and shaping the future of Memphis for the better. So we have an exciting episode for you this week, our holiday week, as we roll into what I hope for all of you is a restful break. Um, So who do we have in the studio first, Anna? So first, we have a wonderful Memphis cheerleader and local restaurateur, um, Kelly English. He is the owner of Restaurant Iris, The Second Line, uh, Iris Catering Services, Magnolia House, and he also bought and um, redid, I guess, Reimagined is probably the better word for Fino's Italian Deli and Grocery. Um, And he is here to talk about rallying for restaurants and ways that you can support the local hospitality industry this holiday season. Yes. So if uh, if it's uh, early here in the morning and you are feeling hungry, we're going to exacerbate that (laughs) that feeling for you. Um, Our second guest today is Brett Roller, who's the Vice President of Planning and Development for the Downtown Memphis Commission. If you are not familiar, the Downtown Memphis Commission is a true institution that behind the scenes, behind all the curtains of... Memphis economic development and city building, they have done incredible work. Um, really, if you look at every corner of downtown, whether you are wandering around the pinch or find yourself on South Main or here in the downtown core, they have truly, uh, they've had their hand in all of these developments from uh, bringing businesses downtown, big and small, to developing residential, to uh, creating retail pockets downtown, to thinking about how we get around downtown in terms of transportation. So they've done incredible work. Um, he is particularly focused on redevelopment and economic growth. Um, so he conducts neighborhood revitalization planning, administers financial incentives. So we're going to get really into the weeds with some wonky and fun uh, city planning stuff. So roll up your sleeves and get ready to learn about how to develop our downtown. Um, so without further ado, we're going to bring Kelly English into the studio. Kelly, as Anna said, is just an institution Um A personal story. When I first started working uh, as a journalist in Memphis, I won't say how long ago, (laughs) (laughs) I was an editor for a magazine called Skirt. And in every issue of this magazine that was owned by the Commercial Appeal, we had to find some man. In every issue, we had like five to ten women that we would profile. But in every issue, we picked one man. But the caveat was he had to physically wear a skirt, and we took a picture of him. And I, <laughs> this is my new favorite story. I don't as even have a twenty-five-year-old like wandering around <laughs> the city of Memphis, trying to find male leaders who are willing to like both do an interview with me, but also like don a skirt, was far more challenging than I would have ever imagined. And Kelly English was new to town. He just opened Iris and was like sort of like the talk of the town. Everybody loved the restaurant. And I like, called on him and was like, would you wear a skirt? He was like, duh, of course. <laughs> and he put Where do on I sign? an amazing, like, elaborate skirt and took a beautiful picture in his kitchen. And I will forever remember him as the man who, uh, without any hesitation, without any self, like, you know, like, just completely devoid of any of those hangups. Any like, of the vanity. Yeah, yeah. just complete just confidence. It. it was like, of course I will. And so I'm so excited to have him here today. He is still the same charming and thoughtful and just passionate person about our community. So he is also, um, like Anna mentioned, he is passionate about our community and he is also a huge um, champion. And 
in full transparency, um, it's been a little difficult to schedule people for this radio host because, <laughs> I mean, um, some people might be feeling under the weather these days. And Kelly had like two seconds notice to come join us in studio today. And he was here for it, even in the midst of a crazy busy holiday season and everything that the hospitality industry has kind of been through this year, which we'll get into in just a minute. But he is a true champion. He is here for any and all things, whether wearing a skirt or <laughs> talking about the reasons to dine locally, shop locally, and support small business. And we are just thrilled to have him here. All right. Well, let's get to it. All right. Well, as promised, we have local hero and restaurateur <laughs> Kelly English with us today. Kelly, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. How are y'all today? I'm good. We're, we're doing well. I, but we don't work in the restaurant industry. No, I've don't. actually <laughs> had this sort of um, like ongoing bit that I've been doing this year where like I run a nonprofit. So I'm like, if you run a nonprofit, you're having the worst year. And then like the te- like we work with teachers and they're like, no, we're having the worst year. And then like the person that works in hospitality is like, no, no. Yeah, we're just, <laughs> we're sitting in the corner just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like, Crazily. You guys <laughs> take the prize. Um, and I think that you have been, you know, you've always been, I think such a, um, I don't know, kind of poster child mascot, whatever you want to say for our emerging um, kind of, I think, uh, just... Memphis kind of rising to the top as a food town. I think you were kind of on the forefront of that wave. And obviously there are many other characters who have made that landscape as dynamic as it is. But I think especially here in 2020, you have helped. I don't know, like you're just like the epitome of what's happening to the restaurant industry and whether people follow you on social or hear you, you know, across other uh, local media. I think you have just embodied like all of the anxiety and the hope and the opportunity and the work um, ethic yeah just like Like everything that i know so many people in your industry are feeling so thank you for for that well yeah you know i think one of the things is for the first time in our industry it's okay not to be okay Mm. you know and not even on a personal level but on a business level you know the part of the game of restaurants is even when things aren't good and someone says how are things you say they're great you know we're busy and all this (laughs) stuff and for the first time you know we've been able to look at each other and say it's not good you know it's hard (laughs) i I ran into ben smith uh the other day in the grocery store and um we just kind of locked eyes with each other we didn't say a word to each other and then we just kind of nodded and we both said i love you and we left (laughs) and that's myth of tsunami yeah this is just like an understanding of like yeah the camaraderie uh, amongst chefs and and restaurateurs is higher than it's ever been I would tell you that. Like we we communicate with each other uh, about almost everything. We have a group text and we we chat almost every day, and mm. it's part of the reason a lot of us have gotten through it. Uh, we live in a really special town. We do. We uh, we we do count on each other. We recognize that not there, there isn't a, a tourist that's coming for any one of us particularly, but collectively, and we all need each other. Um, I think that one of the things that speaks the loudest about who this town is and and who how we collectively operate in food in all of this uncertain time none of us have stepped on each other's toes like of all the pivoting and everything you see everyone doing no one has tried to take a market share from someone that has already been doing that none of us have pivoted to a type of food that would would uh would somehow hurt another restaurant that's a colleague of ours we care about each other yeah, and in so many ways, it is, um, you know, a rising tide obviously lifts all boats in the restaurant industry. Um, but tell us, I mean, just as, as your business is as an example, what have you guys done this year to innovate and, you know, kind of work around all of the, the myriad challenges that have existed 
Um, and, you know, just as an example of what other restaurants in the community are doing. I think it's easier to talk about the challenges that haven't existed. Right. <laughs> it's a shorter list. Um, we were, so we were the first restaurant to close our doors uh, to the dining, for dining rooms. Uh, we did it about a week before the city or the county, whoever um, made that call, mandated it. And um, we went very quickly to curbside and um, and delivery. That worked really well for us until dining rooms started to reopen. And when dining rooms started to reopen, almost, you can talk to anybody, anything that we were doing kind of evaporated. Mm. People were ready to go back out. Okay. Um, and it, it seemed, it, it was surreal when the, the day that we laid off our almost our entire staff, we went from 75 to eight at, oh, wow. in one shot uh, the Monday before dining rooms were closed. And I wanted, I, I recognized that I could not take care of my people. And um, I wanted them to get in whatever line they had to get in. And I wanted them to be as early in that line as they could be. Luckily, then, uh, you know, the, the, the powers that be gave us some support on a f fairly quickly. We don't know what's happening right now. Right. And, you know, the, by the time we're talking now, in, in a few minutes, this could be out of date. That's the other hard part yeah. about uh, uh, 2020 is that there's no routine. There's, yeah. there's nothing that we can wake up in the morning and know that, this is going to be this way and this is going to be this way. And that's what that's what normal times are for a restaurant. I think when you think about a chef, you think of creativity. And it's more about us leaning on a routine, changing small things here and there. You know, we know we have onions and, you know, we have garlic and we know we have herbs and we know we have salt. And we know we have pepper and we know where they are. We emotion in our emotional cabinet. None of those things exist anymore. Uh, we don't know what we're walking to any any day. And uh, it's, it's tough. It's draining. Um uh, we we do put on strong faces and and it's it's uh, it's hard to to face your team and not know the answers. You know that's part of your job is to take an information really quickly and decipher some answers so so we can go in a certain direction. And um, it can uh, if I'm being very honest, uh, one of the hardest parts about this year is that as a leader of a team and a small business, it's very lonely. And you can, I mean I'm uh, it, it makes me tear up. Uh, it's very lonely because um, you you have to make decisions very quickly, and no matter what decisions you make, it makes people really angry. It affects their ability to earn a living, and um, it's heavy. Absolutely, I can't imagine. I mean, you're our president and CEO, so I feel like you it might be a, a lonely no, position mean, up at the top. I well, mean, I mean, I, 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 it is so hard to lead through crisis, but also to lead through mystery, and I think that is what you know, as you noted, like. Things are changing, you know, when I think back to like my mindset in like June or July, I like laugh out loud because I'm like, well, we'll be back in the office. I'll see you next month. And um, I think it's hard to present that front of confidence as a leader when you really you don't have any more answers than anybody else. Um, and I think once everybody settles into and at this point in, in this crisis, I think uh, if there's any lesson that I've learned in this year, it's I, I can only control what I can control. Um, and it's huge. It is. And to, and to know that, like, you know, I mean, not to get too philosophic here, but like, you know, you are you are one pawn in, in this sort of massive ocean of, of chaos and change. And uh, it is exciting at this moment to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it does give you a little more confidence to say, OK, let's shape plans and you can make promises to people and help create expectation that gives people the confidence that. Sure. Um, but no, I mean, again, I think you've. It's been such a unique challenge for the restaurant industry in particular because you both want to keep people safe both your staff and your patrons 
Um, but you also want to provide a living that lets these people, you know, hopefully thrive. Right. Um, so I know that, that that being in sort of direct opposition has to be just completely kind of heartbreaking every yeah. day. Well, it's funny that you mentioned – so the one thing I've taken from 2020 is that I do not stress about things I can't control anymore. Like – at an annoying level, <laughs> but, like my team around me, I can tell because like they'll they'll bring me a, something and I say, you know what, this is this is next week and I can't control it, so I'm not even going to spend any time on it. Like I'm not. Um, <laughs> and yes, we can see a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think that I, I liken what we're going what we're going through right now to an action movie. Okay, and we know that the movie is an hour and a half long. We've looked it up before we went in the movie. And there's 20 minutes left and nothing's resolved. So the biggest battle is coming. Mm. It's it, We know how it's going to end, but the biggest battle is here. And I, I hope that we don't lose sight of the fact that even though we know that the end is coming, the biggest battle is at the end of the movie. Like the, the, the most satisfying um, uh, end of a movie is, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the climax of it. Here it comes. And, and um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just so weird. It's so I weird. You can't get used to it. No. and I hope not. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I feel like something that is unique to you and of the Memphis hospitality industry is that you continue to give back. Even in um, – I think in a, in a normal year, you probably go above and beyond more than a lot of people would or should or even me personally, like, <laughs> finds right. time to, you know, make sure that that's a priority. And so even in a year like 2020, for you to make sure that um, – for those who don't know, Kelly English – Back in the spring, you teamed up with Gibson's Donuts to you help did. provide some of that. Um, in the summer, you launched Sunday pop-up series to benefit local charitable organizations. And then you've been super involved in advocating for local hospitality businesses to get appropriate funding. Yes. So in addition to keeping your handful of businesses afloat and keeping, you know, diners fed and safe and everything like that, like you're you're literally going above and beyond in 2020. So I do wonder how you sleep at all, or if you do. I, I don't think I've had a good night of sleep since March. <laughs> but um, Why do you think that's so important, to continue to lean in to the community? and it's all So you run a nonprofit, right? When, when, you, um, when you're getting a fundraiser together, uh, one of the first things that you do is figure out which restaurants can come to it and give their stuff, right? <laughs> what so can we get for free? <laughs> you pay You pay for the venue, you pay for the security, the band might get a little bit of this, but the restaurants come for free. Um, and I really, I believe so much in this town, in this community. I'm not from here. I, you know, I grew up in New Orleans. I've lived here longer than I've, anywhere I've lived in my life though, officially as of a couple months ago. I lived here for 13 years, which is nuts to me. <laughs> but um, I believe in this community. This community has changed who I am. Um, it, it is, it has made the adult version of, of who I am. When I look back on the mistakes that I made when I was younger, uh, whether we're talking about high school or college or, you know, I, I came here and found out who I was. And, um, that has to do with all the people that live here, my colleagues, the people that, um, I've gotten to work with in my restaurants, you know, all kinds of different things. And, uh, I, I really, I believe that, that this place is important. Um, and I think that for all of what's important about this place to come back, restaurants have to come back. We have, to, we have to be there to not only serve food to people, not only employ people, but to make sure that all the good work that happens in this amazing place can continue. Um, there, there's, there's a lot that we do outside of, of just, you know, selling 
burgers and fancier food for more than we sell burgers for. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. And, and um, you know, if, if, you, if you think of the word companion, one of the first words for friendship, uh, if you break it into its Latin elements, it means those who we break bread with. So one of the first words that we can describe what a friend is was about sharing a meal. Um, which brings us back to the confounding hard part of restaurants right now and sharing a meal. Um, it is it is a conundrum to be in to to understand the unique circumstances that you present uh, when it comes to gathering people and that your entire business is built around gathering people or people meeting at your place or you know sealing a deal or or Coming going together. on a first date yeah. you know, whatever it may be. Um, it's just strange. It's all so strange. Well, and, you know, I mean, obviously there's the economic impact of the restaurant industry broadly, but we talk a lot at New Memphis about the importance of the role that restaurants play in making Memphis a livable and lovable place. And when we think about why is it that people choose to be here and choose to stay here, you guys play a huge role in that. And, you know, we've recently been having conversations about culture um, and making sure that as we as we define culture, we're not just talking about the arts community, but we're talking about all of the input from um, from food and sports and just all of the ways in which community does come together. And it is unique to have a place where people of all backgrounds who otherwise would not have met can come under one roof and have conversation and interact with one another. And that is the lifeblood of a city. Um, and, sure. you know, I, I know that Memphis, I mean, in some ways I, I take comfort in knowing that we as a city are not, we're not experiencing this alone, that every Every city in our country, unfortunately, and many across the um, across the globe are going through these same challenges. So I, I'm constantly looking outward to see, okay, how are else are people innovating and solving this problem? Or how are they, again, just mitigating the consequences sure. to get us through? Um, so with that, now that we've we've truly deepened ourselves in the sadness <laughs> of 2020. Yeah, now that we're not, we like. <laughs> I would, I'm just, you know, looking into the broader future, 2021 and beyond, as the world quote unquote, returns to normal and life takes on um, a fresh new meaning. What, you know, and you have been, we, we as we were introducing you earlier, read off the uh, the long list of restaurants that you have been an investor in that you've, you know, both either gotten off the ground or sort of reshaped. Um, so, you know, as you look at the landscape in Memphis in terms of, you know, the culinary landscape, what excites you personally? What are you, you know, I, whether it be something new or something that is a long-term staple and when you think about the Kelly English brand over the next ten years, what's next for you? What do you want? What, what you know? What's your big dream project for Memphis in terms of dining? So, when I think of twenty twenty one specifically, the word that I keep coming back to, and I just had a meeting with uh, my management team and and the people that that um, take care of a lot of different things for us, and the word that I keep coming back to is joy, and joy should be what drives everything that we do, and. Um, I think that we've gone through iterations of time where we wanted to be, uh, you know, impactful in a way that you thought about your food or that, you know, this, this esoteric, I call it esoterism, but esoteric <laughs> way in which we, we think about a dish or this. And, and that's, we need, to, we need to be focused on bringing people joy. And, and we need to make every decision is like, does this bring joy? Does it bring joy to the, to us? Does it bring joy to the diner? I think that we have a real opportunity to define what hospitality is again uh, with and adding in the element of respecting ourselves as a staff. One of the hardest things that 2020 has brought is that we have become a ping pong ball of politics 
uh, and and I'm not painting both sides of the political spectrum with one brush here, but there are people that believe that we shouldn't have masks at all or, or no restrictions at all. There are people that aren't ready to go out. And um, and those people lie on, on both the right and the left. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's been very difficult to, to be thrust into a, a situation where we know hospitality and we know at which point we won't take anymore. Like there, there are times at which we say, you know, it's uh, – we can't we can't make you happy anymore and and you know it's time for you to go like every restaurant goes through that um but it's been hard to police things that's not that's not what we do we bend over backwards to make people happy so it's very difficult for us to to say you need to put your mask on you need to sit down sir mm-hmm. you know um <laughs> that's just Gosh, not yeah. that's not what we do uh, they don't coexist with hospitality very well <laughs> Good cop, um, bad cop. <laughs> right. And and um, so I, I'm very happy that the health directors they're putting out have a little more teeth in them uh, and that they are they are more clear. Uh, I think that we've gone through this time of ambiguity where we had to figure out nobody cares about a restaurant's policy. I'll tell you that right now. No one in the history of the planet since restaurants have existed have given two craps about a policy, <laughs> right? It's not our policy to give refunds. Okay, great. Give me a refund. Like, I don't care about your policy. So I'm glad that it's a, a directive and not our policy. Um, as far as broadly speaking uh, in the future, I, you know, I really, I really want to run restaurants where we can take care of as many people as well as we can uh, and, and honestly that they can have lives outside of work. Because you fall into this trap in, in the restaurant industry where it's just this all-consuming this cycle of of it's just it doesn't stop. And um, through the first part of this year, I found out what it was like to go home at seven o'clock. Hmm. You know, and that was cool. I never, <laughs> I, I was like, is this is what normal people do. Who knew? <laughs> um, I don't think that the work ethic will ever change, but I think that we'll respect ourselves as humans that 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 have very basic needs as to what time and stress management is. Uh, I know that I care about that, not just for myself, but for my team. As far as projects are concerned, I just want to, I want to figure out what world we live in on the other side of this. And uh, I want to bring people joy. That's all I want to do. Bring people joy, enjoy my life and make sure that the people that work for me enjoy theirs too, and make people happy for the time that they're with us. That's all I care about. I have to ask. Does a soul burger bring you joy? Do you have any plans to dip <laughs> to dip to dip your toes into Let the Ernestine you. and Hazels? So we we bought Finos. People swear that we changed the bread. <laughs> we didn't change the bread. We haven't changed anything. I love Memphis conspiracy theories. Oh They're man, my favorite and I am not going anywhere near the soul ch- quote changing the soul burger. So <laughs> someone should save it. I've I've done my part over there. Yes, you and have. and I hope that uh, I hope that somebody saves it because I want a soul burger too. And you better not change the bread. <laughs> well, to those of you out there who are looking for your next big investment, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kelly English will mentor you as you step into the restaurant industry if you go and save Ernestine and Hazel. I will drink a beer and come tell you if the soul burger is <laughs> is correct or not uh-huh. Uh-huh. for free. <laughs> Perfect for free. I'll do that. Uh, well, Kelly, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you here. We'll have you back in a few months and you can, you know, again, vaccines are rolling out. I know. They are. It's but I exciting. do. I have one more thing. Oh, I have oh, seen. I have seen on the Daily Memphian, you taught somebody how to make your holiday milk punch. <gasps> yes. And so since it is the week of Christmas, 
I was wondering what other holiday traditions you have that it's just not a holiday without this. And we will share um, Kelly's milk punch recipe on our social. Yeah. So uh, every Christmas I make fajitas. I'm so (laughs) tired of fancy food that I just want something. I think that holidays, everybody should enjoy them. So I don't like turkey. I, I like everything else Nobody about really. Thanksgiving. No, my husband's with you on yeah. that. He's I like, think that gravy is the main uh, the main part of, of a Thanksgiving meal. It's just a byproduct. Of <laughs> you have to have that to make it. The vessel, yeah. Um, Christmas Eve was a bigger deal to me than, than Christmas Day growing up. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to slowing down for two days and sharing it with uh, my brother and my girlfriend and her kids. And it'll be it'll be great. You know, some fajitas and, and some milk punch. All those things. <laughs> I, I will. I will tell you this, and, and to everyone listening, support your local restaurants. If it's not mine, just make sure it's someone's. Um, I, I, uh, we're we're going through a lot, and I know that there's exhaustion with with us. You know, pleading for help and pleading for your business. Uh, we are we are we employ good people that um, that deserve a shot to make a living. Uh, we're all holding on longer than. The textbook tells us to right now, and um, you know none of us are trying to to get rich as owners right now. Um, we are we are we are fighting for our teams, and and we really need you. Um, and that goes for fancy restaurants, that goes for casual restaurants, that goes for restaurants in every neighborhood, that goes for the ones that you think we're going to make it through, no problem. Um, there are no there are no guarantees right now, and when you eat out, I really hope that you eat out with a purpose. I hope that you eat out intentionally. I hope that you go to the places uh, that you want to make sure uh, make it through this. And um, might I add, uh, buy some gift cards for people for Christmas. Uh, I was that's, gonna say this is like the one year where it's not like a, a, it's not a lazy a thing to answer. give. Yeah, you're like buy gift cards from local uh, local restaurants. That is what I'm giving out to everyone. That's what I want to receive. Competitors, so, yeah. Yeah. my my. Uh, yes, my competitors, my colleagues. Not my. Not I'm not giving out gift cards to my place. I'm going to go to to a few different places and buy a few hundred dollars worth of gift cards and just mix them up. And that's 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 what Christmas okay. looks like this year. It's intentional. It's, yeah. you're right. It's not it's not a cop out. Like I don't know what to get Fred. Um, <laughs> you know, so gift card it is. You know, a, a, a gift card to go eat with Karen Carrier would be fantastic mm-hmm. this yeah. year. Well, again, thank you, thank you, Kelly. We'll have you back in a few months as we emerge out of this and kind of look at what's next. So thank you again. Just to echo, go, please patronize our local restaurants, all of them, as as much as you can uh, through this holiday season. So thank you, Kelly. I hope you have a great holiday. Thank you all for having me. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Well, today we are excited to have Brett Roller here in the studio with us. Brett is the Vice President of Planning and Development for the Downtown Memphis Commission. Brett, thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So for our listeners who are not as intimately familiar with the work of the Downtown Memphis Commission, give us just a kind of a quick overview of who you guys are, what you do, and what the history is. Yeah. Thank you. The Downtown Memphis Commission has been around since 1977, and we're a business improvement district. And what that means is commercial property owners pay a small assessment every year to fund our operations. And what they get in return for that small assessment is about 36 safety and hospitality officers on the street, cleaning green work to make downtown beautiful and, and litter-free. And, and primarily the work that I do is around economic development. And we offer a variety of tools and incentives to help people invest in commercial property downtown. And we also have a marketing team that promotes downtown and downtown businesses. So the easiest way to think about the Downtown Memphis Commission is that we're a nonprofit. We're a nonprofit whose job it is, is to link the the private development sector and the public sector. 
at the end of the day, we've got two very clear metrics for success. One, our job is to improve commercial property values. And two, we're trying to attract people downtown, people to live, people to work, people to play. And we, we genuinely believe that downtown Memphis, it has to be strong and has to be vibrant if we're going to have a strong Memphis and a strong Shelby County. We're not developing downtown for the sake of downtown. We think that's the strategy for making a sustainable and successful tax base across the city and county. And at the end of the day, our guiding principle is we're trying to build a downtown for everybody, a place that feels like our shared public living room, a place where we can come together to celebrate, to mourn, to protest, to, to really learn to see each other as Memphians. And that's what we wake up and, and are excited to do every day at the DMC. Gosh, that's such a beautiful vision. And I, I can't remember, I think it's a number that came from the downtown Memphis Commission, but it could have been from one of your collaborators. But this notion that when we reinvest in neighborhoods and we're thinking about community development and neighborhood redevelopment, that um, there's a really clear return on that investment when we build downtown. And that for every dollar we invest in the downtown community, we see a $4 return on that from a city, you know, for in terms of the tax base and sort of the overall economic, economic development um, outcome. So that's exciting. And I think it helps put into perspective when we look at all of the Memphis neighborhoods and how important it is that we're thinking about Memphis holistically, as I think you really uh, articulated well, there there is so much benefit to having an inclusive and an inviting and a welcoming downtown because it is the front, front porch of our community. And it is in many ways kind of the core place in which any city would look to, you know, if you're I've actually had this conversation with a few developers where they've told me, um, as they've been bringing people from outside of the city over the past 25 years into Memphis, um, that, I'm trying to remember exactly, I think maybe it was Henry Turley, but told me like, you know, somebody goes downtown and if they don't see a vibrant downtown that has investment, that is taken care of, that has people, that they're going to immediately turn around and get back on a plane and say, Memphis isn't a place I want to invest in. So I think you know, we're telegraphing to not just our community, but the rest of the world that Memphis is on an upward trajectory when we see downtown making advancements. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And there's an economic argument, certainly, where we, we believe that investing downtown yields a greater benefit to the tax base across the city and county. But as you mentioned, downtown is, is also our brand to the world. Mm. It's, it's how people see us. It's how we see ourselves. If we're going to have a competitive advantage as a community, as we're trying to compete nationally to attract talent and, and investment, you know, we need to have a place that looks like people care about it. You know, we, we, we don't want to build a downtown that looks like any place USA where we tear down all the buildings and we build buildings that look like Nashville or Reno or Chattanooga necessarily. We, we believe that downtown is special. Downtown Memphis has a character and a sense of place and a diversity in people and music and food and architecture. And that really is our competitive advantage. One of my favorite quotes comes from Loretta Lynn, who said, you have to be first, best, or different. <laughs> and I think different is, is where we really can, can have an impact. You know, we are unique. We're not like any place USA, and we need to lean into that. I love that. I agree. I think some of my favorite things about the marketing that y'all have been doing is the downtown for everybody. Because like you said, we are unique. We are different. We have such a diversity of attractions, of places to eat, of things to do, but there is a downtown for everybody. No matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you have, there's something for you to do and enjoy and celebrate. And I love that. 
So obviously, uh, this year has not been, I'm sure, the year that, that the, unless the Downtown Business Commission had a crystal ball nope. <laughs> that I wish you guys would have shared with the rest of us, 2020 has been a unique way uh, for you guys to move forward. So tell us, again, you know, it's the new Memphis office is downtown, so we're on Front Street, and it has been hard to go into the office occasionally and look around downtown and see empty streets and uh, closed businesses and, you know, people not patronizing. So one... You know, obviously, in your work in the economic development space, how have you guys uh, pivoted to to hopefully find opportunity this year? What are you guys doing to mitigate the impact for downtown businesses? And you know, just generally, what is your outlook going forward? Yeah, great question. L like a lot of people, we we didn't see this coming. I'll, I'll admit that to, to to you and everybody else. Um, it's been interesting. At the beginning of 2020, we had $5 billion in the development pipeline. Wow. I'll say that again, $5 mm. billion with a B. With that, a B. That's yeah. significant. And it, it's one of the, the, the most exciting times to, to be in, in this industry downtown. And, and it's frankly one of the most exciting times, if you love Memphis and you love downtown, to see all the change that's happening. We've got a long way to go. We're nowhere near being done with downtown Memphis, but we're starting to see the potential, I think. So at the beginning of this year, we had that $5 billion in the pipeline. We were looking at very strong demand across the multifamily apartment sector. Banks were really interested in lending for multifamily projects. We had pretty strong demand in food and beverage and restaurant and also in the hotel market. And the office market, which has struggled historically, you know, because downtown is not geographically in the center of, of our community any longer. The office market had some really exciting things happening you know, high profile wins like FedEx and Indigo Ag. And everybody's heard about The Walk, formerly Union Row, and also the Pinch development. And, and those projects were, were, were a big part of, the, of that $5 billion of, of development. And by and large, the big projects are still happening. Um, it may take a little bit longer. Financing is a little bit tighter. But we are, we are wildly optimistic that most of the big projects, if not all of them, are going to continue, even if they're delayed a little bit. But with COVID-19, everybody knows that the impact globally and, and especially across downtowns and urban places, it's been significant. And downtown Memphis is not immune. Foot traffic has dropped to really low, low levels. Uh, we have pedestrian counters out on the street at, at about 11 locations so that we can get a sense of the pedestrian traffic. And we, we've had that data going back about three years. And right now, at the lowest part of the pandemic, when, when foot traffic was the lowest, we were at 10% or less of foot traffic mm -hmm. downtown along key corridors. And foot traffic is the lifeblood of downtown restaurants and downtown retail and, and other services. So that's that's been a big challenge. We're, we're seeing that number go up slowly, especially when, when we had nice weather in the fall, but it's still way below where it, it should be. So... What we've done was was we recognize that we're not the CDC. I'm not Dr. Fauci, certainly. <laughs> so we can't solve the pandemic. But what we can do is find creative ways to support our downtown businesses and our downtown stakeholders. And we've done that in, in, in small ways that I'm actually pretty proud of. And we were able to move quickly and I think think innovatively to, to find creative ways to help. It started when we partnered with the city of Memphis on an on a informal program to bag parking meters. You may have seen this if mm -hmm. you've been downtown lately. Yeah. Wherever there was a cluster of restaurants, uh, the city was able to bag meters around those restaurants to facilitate uh, pickup and, and takeout orders to help those restaurants make it a little bit easier to, to, to sell food to people who, who might want to dine at home. We also partnered with the city to relax the rules around outdoor dining to make it much, much easier for a downtown restaurant 
to have tables and chairs outside on the public sidewalk or it may be in a parking space or in a parking lot and increase their capacity um, by having that outdoor dining. And, and that was been, that's been very successful. And in more direct ways, we, we, we found some money in our budget. Um, our marketing team allocated $30,000 for a marketing micro grant, which is a pretty neat program. Um, they were able to help 30 businesses and the program does one of two things depending on your need. It can help you build out your online sales platform. If maybe you're a brick and mortar store and you haven't transitioned historically to, to online, we were able to help some businesses do that. And we were also um, able to help some businesses with, with more marketing dollars. I mean, marketing and advertising is one of the first things that gets cut. And we wanted to find a way to, to help them get the messages out through, through social media that downtown is still open. These businesses are still open. And, and now more than ever, we need your help. We need you to shop local now more than ever. And then my team worked on a pretty exciting program called the, the Downtown Business Continuity Forgivable Loan, which is a long name. <laughs> I think everybody got to pick a word um, in that name and, and add them together. But the, th the thing about that program was we were able to find $260,000. We were able to support um, 46 businesses. And this was in April, late, late March, April and May. And we were able to give them a, a forgivable loan that turns into a grant if they're able to stay open for two years. Yay. So this is money that can go to rent. This is money that can go to utilities and in some cases payroll. And we're not out of the woods yet, clearly. Um, many businesses downtown and across our country are still struggling. We have lots of businesses that, that are frankly still at risk of closure due to COVID-19, you know, solely due to COVID-19. But we think that that forgivable loan is really going to help and, and help it make it a little bit easier for some of these businesses to get to the other side of this. And we're, we're still looking for ways to aid recovery in 2021. So if anybody has any ideas of, of ways that we can be more supportive of downtown businesses, call me, email me. We'd love to hear them because we really do want to focus on this. Well, as you said, it's exciting to have a light at the end of this long, dark tunnel that is 2020. So, you know, I, I think uh, the work that you guys have been doing to Again, mitigate the consequences of 2020 um, to to kind of fill the gap for those businesses. Mm -hmm. I know um, every every restaurant in the city has struggled, and I'm I'm happy to see that downtown businesses have a little extra level of support. Um, you know, going back to a long term vision for downtown, I think anybody listening who's visited downtown at any point in the last few years would tell you that it truly has transformed um, when you look at what downtown Memphis you know, what the landscape of downtown was, both literally and figuratively, uh, you know, 15 years ago, 10, year, 10 years ago, even five years ago, um, so much has changed. Um, so I wanted to just, I mean, we, you talked a little bit about um, some of the big um, uh, business developments that are coming downtown that have already come downtown, whether that be Indigo Ag. You know, I, I, I'm still service, uh, celebrating the service master move downtown, which is now Terminex. Um, but FedEx, again, as you said, moving downtown and um, I think all of that's really exciting. And as we think about, as 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 we as a broader community think about creating uh, job opportunities that really attract and retain our, our greatest young talent, I think having them be housed in the center of our downtown urban core is so important. But we've also seen a real explosion in residential downtown. Mm -hmm. And as I walk around on my lunch break in you know pre-COVID times, I'm always um, excited to see how many people aren't just coming downtown for their nine to five, but who are mm -hmm. downtown 
enjoying the nightlife, as you've mentioned, but also um, enjoying their home life. So what can you tell us about the growth in residential over the last you know period of time and what the trajectory for that looks like going forward? Yeah, thank you. That, that's a great question. So e- even with the significant headwind that, w- that we've seen with COVID-19, there's good news in 2020. That may sound like a typo or, <laughs> or a misstatement, but we've had some good news. We continue to see good news. And the residential market is one of those areas. Uh, I, I mentioned before the impact of COVID-19, the demand for market rate residential was high. The market was, was very strong. Lenders were very interested in, in lending for new multifamily apartment buildings. And that's still by and large the case. We, we still have developers looking at multifamily projects, you know, taking steps to move forward. We have banks that are interested in financing those types of projects. So we think that the, the trajectory of downtown is, is clearly an upward trajectory. We're bullish on the future of downtown Memphis. And we think that once we get through this COVID-19 pandemic, the demand for, for people to have a place to come together, to live, to have urban amenities, to be able to walk to restaurants, to the barbershop, to, to the eye doctor, we think that demand is still going to be there. And you know, nationally, if you, if you look at literature from the American Planning Association or the International Downtown Association or others, or the Urban Land Institute, the consensus is that people with, with choices, people that um, ha- have talent and could live anywhere in the country, they're looking for quality of life. They're looking for urban amenities. And if we want to attract businesses, if we want to attract talent, uh, we have to have a downtown that, that is a great campus and a great environment and offers those quality of life amenities. So a little birdie told me that you might have some exciting news that you'd like to share with yeah. us and our <laughs> listeners. Yeah. So th- this year, 2021, um, the Downtown Memphis Commission and its affiliated boards, we were able to approve 21 different incentives. That's 21 projects that, that are underway of beginning to happen this year that we didn't know about last year. Yeah. That's that's not a huge number compared to where we want to be. But it sounds impressive to me. 21. It's 21 more than if you didn't know they were coming. I mean, come on. And it's actually the third highest number of, of projects in a year that, that we've, we've seen since uh, 2010. So last year was a tremendous year. The year before that was a big year. And then this is the third highest. So we wow. still have momentum. And, and what that signals to us is that the private sector and the business community, they're still bullish on the long-term outlook for urban places like downtown Memphis. And what really excites me is this trend that we're seeing and and we're also helping facilitate where local businesses, whether it's a restaurant or a financial services company or an office headquarters, Memphians are buying their own buildings downtown, moving their corporate headquarters downtown and planting their flag in downtown Memphis as an owner. Uh, One example, just from this morning, we approved a $60,000 grant for my friend, Miss B.J. Chester Tamayo with Alcinia, as everyone knows Miss B.J. Um, you know, just a quick example of Miss B.J. She's been an anchor in, in the Pinch District for 23 years. She's, uh, she's rented her building. People didn't know that, but she's been a renter all this time. And whenever you have out-of-town property owners, there's always a risk of displacement. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited that the Downtown Memphis Commission was able to play a part. And a, a group of partners came together including the Downtown Memphis Commission, the Memphis Medical District Collaborative, uh, River City Capital and Community Lift, and Epi- Epicenter Memphis. And we were able to put a package of incentives together that allowed Miss BJ to buy her building. She closed on it earlier this month. And we just this morning approved a $60,000 grant to make some strategic physical improvements to the building to get the plumbing, mechanical, electrical, kitchen um, 
to 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 an extent that she can thrive in the future and be successful in the future. And there's other examples. You know, Ed Chicago with with SOB bought the Ambassador Hotel building at 345 South mm -hmm. Main. This is one that I'm really really proud of our involvement in. Um, we, we filed a lawsuit in environmental court because the owner at the time uh, was not maintaining the building and it was in danger of collapse. The environmental court required that the owner repair it so that it would be stable. And then that owner sold it to, to Ed, who's, who's invested, I think, almost $4 million in, in the building. Mm -hmm. There's going to be 10 apartments on the upper floors and about 15,000 square feet of commercial space on the ground floor is the new location for SOB. So that's a really exciting example. Um, Bert and John at McEwen's on Monroe did the same thing, where they bought their building. They're adding apartments above. They're renovating the dining room and expanding the dining room on the ground floor in space that's been vacant for decades. And I don't know if anyone's driven down Union Avenue lately, but my vote for transformation of the year is the new Slim and Huskies location. Yes. Absolutely. I drove by it on the way here, and there was a line around the corner. I'm so glad to see that. It's one of the best-looking transformations of, of the year, and it's important that we look like we're a community that cares about our buildings and we care about the built environment. And that, that sends the right signals you know, to, our, to our, our, ourselves and our neighbors, but also to investors and people that, that might want to move to, to Memphis or move their business to Memphis. Also, Karen Adams on, on uh, Madison Avenue, mm -hmm. um, she bought a building that was blighted and vacant. She's renovated it fully. It's a beautiful office building there in the heart of the Edge District on Madison. Also in the Edge District is Pre Preserver Partners. A gentleman named Floyd Tyler owns that business. They're a financial services firm. He bought a vacant, empty building and transformed it into the headquarters of, of his organization. And then I think we all know about Wiseacre, too, and Grind City, you know, two, two new breweries that opened downtown this year. Um, Grind City is up in the north and anchors in uptown. And Wiseacre, too, is at a very important location on the south end that we think is going to be a catalyst and a magnet for attracting development that's going to help us link South City and South Maine. And then finally, my, my, my biggest um, uh, success story this year, I think that I would point to, is the former Benchmark Hotel. That might not mean much to you, but it was a building at 164 Union that, it, that's the northwest corner of B.B. Uh, King and, and um, Union. And it sat vacant for many years. It was, it was an old Benchmark Hotel, it sat vacant. An a owner bought it and then proceeded to, to demo it and then stopped about halfway through. Oh, no. And it sat vacant for years. It sat, it sat vacant. That This owner would not talk to us. He, he wouldn't um, communicate with us when we reached out. And it was an out-of-town owner. Ugh. And finally, we said enough is enough. And, and we took this person to environmental court. We filed a Neighborhood Pre Preservation Act lawsuit. The environmental court judge found us uh, that we were correct, that it was a nuisance, it was a blight under the law, and it required the owner to remediate the nuisance. That, that could be sell the property, it could be finish your project, or it could be demolish the property. That owner decided to sell it, sold it to a hotel development company that if you've been down there lately, it looks a lot different. Mm -hmm. It does, It's yeah. now the Canopy Hotel, which is a 171 key hotel, about a $42 million uh, investment there. And every time I walk by or drive by or, or ride a bike by, I'm reminded that the, the real joy of my industry and, and my, my colleagues and I, the, the reason we get excited and we get up every day and run into work is that we have the potential to affect change. And it's so rewarding to walk by a building that looks better than it used to or a, a new building where there was blight or vacancy and, and know that you had a small part in it. So I think that's what primarily motivates my teammates and I.
to do this work. Absolutely. I even saw that um, since this is the holiday season, that there was a South Main Santa Christmas yeah. gift drive supported by several downtown businesses collecting personal care items, toys, masks, and other items to be distributed to families in need. Um, and in exchange, customers who contribute get special deals at participating businesses like the Arcade, South Main Sushi, Rizzo's, Prima's Bakery, and more. Um, so even in a year where it feels like maybe a little bit constrained, that there's still that spirit of community and giving back to the community is what I love about being downtown and about working downtown for almost a decade myself. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I would encourage anybody listening – you don't have to be um, in. Uh, you don't have to be a city planner. You don't have to be in economic development to go downtown and feel, and see physically. You know, one thing when we talk about economic development, I always feel like the easiest way to point to it is to show you these physical developments, the manifestation of all of this work and strategy, and just collaborative effort that goes into making sure that, as you said, a community is 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 being invested in that we're. Um, that we're adaptively reusing historic properties, that we're helping and encouraging local business owners, entrepreneurs uh, to, 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 to buy and invest in our community, that we're encouraging people to live, work, and play in the same areas. Um, so it's, it's all just exciting. And you can walk from South Main to the Pinch to the Medical District and be safe and be excited and be in a, a dense, walkable uh, space and just walk by and see everything from you know, new new headquarters, new businesses, new restaurants, uh, new new apartment complexes. So it's exciting, and we're just so grateful for the work that you guys are doing. Um, before we let you go, I'm you know we've talked a little bit about this year and what next year looks like, but give us a macro, big picture, kind of long term strategy. Where is the DMC going? DMC being the downtown of this commission. Um, what can you tell us about sort of your long term plans? Yeah, thank you. Um- we're doing a lot of work. That's what's exciting about about working at the DMC. We we work in all areas of economic development, but my team and I are really focused now on three issues: parking and mobility, retail and entrepreneurship, and emerging developers. So I'll quickly share some thoughts on each of those, if you don't mind. Please. So with parking and mobility, we one of, one of my favorite and least favorite questions to ask somebody was, what do you think about parking downtown? What's it like to park downtown? And <laughs> Rave you, reviews, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> people only complain about parking. That's like Opinions vary. So if you asked 100 people, about half of them would say, parking downtown is not that big a deal. It's, it's not that expensive. It's not that difficult. I go downtown. I know where to park. I know if I can walk a couple blocks, I can usually find a place for free to park. It's not a problem. It's not like Manhattan. And then the other half of the people would say, oh, my goodness, I hate parking in downtown Memphis. It's impossible. It's expensive. I, I can never find a place to park. It stresses me out. That's why I don't go to downtown Memphis. <laughs> I the, feel like if you divided those two groups, you could say, which of you have lived in other major cities and which of you haven't? Because I think that like us sort of longtime Memphians, we've just gotten spoiled. We are spoiled. Like we just think we should be able to park for free within right five in front steps of whatever of business we want to go, yeah. go to. But what I like about that question, when we looked at the data, we did a parking study over over the course of a year and a half, we looked at the data. They're, they're both right. It, mm. It's a question of when and where and how far you're willing to walk. Mm. So it is true that if you look at the whole six and a half square miles and you add up all the on-street and off-street parking, there's probably enough to support future development in the near term. But you know, a parking space in the edge isn't going to help the Orpheum. It's, a parking <laughs> space on Crump is not going to help an uptown business. So it really has to be in the right place. 
And we have found that there are acute shortages of parking in the high demand areas, especially in the downtown core. And that, that sounds expected. You know, that, that's where a lot of people are. That's where a lot of the density is. But our master plan tells us that we really do have to increase density downtown. We have to create compact critical mass in order to support transit and support grocery stores and have the vibrant street life that we need. So we really do have to grow grow up in, in, mm. in downtown Memphis and build up in downtown Memphis. So it, the parking study yielded three, th three big ideas. The first is to use existing parking first. What that means is let's better utilize our existing facilities. Let's repair them. Let's maintain them. Let's have real-time availability information and better wayfinding mm. and signage, better yeah. lighting. And we think there's real potential to, in a cost-effective way, increase the use of these existing parking garages before we build new ones. That's the first big idea. Second big idea is we probably will have to build new parking, but we should do it strategically. We should build parking that, not, that doesn't support one single project, but rather unlocks the potential of a neighborhood or a block mm. or a district. And a great example of that is the mobility center um, that we're in the early stages of planning. Um, it's, it's a parking garage, but it's a lot more than that. There'll, there'll, be, a bike, there'll be bike share facilities. Um, we're working on a bike commuter station, a place with showers and lockers that would be a membership uh, wow. type of model so that people could bike commute to downtown Memphis even even when it's warm and they could take a shower, they could store their bike and they could go to their office from there. So we're looking at that as a possibility. Is that the development by, uh, why can't I think of Warfare? it? One Beal. Yeah, it's near One Beal. Um, the mobility center is proposed for a city of Memphis owned piece of property that's just north of the Orpheum. Got it, yeah. Okay, right. yeah. And then the third big idea is that we're gonna continue to build parking. We, we think that's probably necessary going into the future. But that shouldn't be the only club in the bag. We shouldn't be a, a one-trick pony. So we're adding mobility to our toolkit. Um, the Downtown Parking Authority wanted to do this. They committed to this. They changed their name from the Downtown Parking Authority to the Downtown Mobility Authority hmm. to, to show that new focus and commitment. Um, they've asked us to add things um, called transportation demand management strategies. And that, that's a fancy sounding word. But what it really means is um, encouragement, incentives, programs that help people understand the full range of transportation choices and, and try them if they're interested. So the first step in doing that is we're forming a transportation management association, a TMA. And the point of that group is it's a convening of partners, uh, groups like the DMC, uh, Memphis and Shelby County, the Memphis Medical District Collaborative, MATA, um, the state of Tennessee, the Memphis MPO, everybody who's already doing good work in yeah. transportation and mobility, we're going to convene and come together on a frequent basis to collaborate, to leverage, and eventually expand the work that we're doing. So that's pretty exciting. And, and one of the pilot projects, one of the tests that, that we're, we're hoping to embark on next year is something called the VIA shuttle. You, you may have heard about mm -hmm. it. You can Google it, VIA. And it's think of it like an Uber or a Lyft, but it's, it's a big van or a little bus. And we think that there's real opportunity to get people to park in parking lots that maybe you're a block or too far away. Maybe there's a reason why people don't want to park there today. But if we provided this free shuttle or a very, very low cost shuttle, it could make that last mile connection to get them from the parking lot to their office. And once the office market uh, returns and office workers return, we think there'll be demand for, for 
uh, resources like yeah. this. So we're going to be exploring that in, in 2021. Especially in inclement weather. I mean, it's it's really chilly outside today, but I would think, you know, if back when a perfect, you know, perfect world, if I was going to see um, something at the Orpheum or something and I had to park a little further away, um, a shuttle like that would make it prime. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny. We talk about not being able to predict the future. In, in the early part of this year, we were wrapping up the parking study. And one of the recommendations of our consultant was we need to find ways for people to, to telework and, and work from home. And, and I remember saying, nobody's going to do that, right? <laughs> nobody's going to work from home. <laughs> Fast forward, well, check the box. We've all got that figured out. We know how to, how to telecommute. We know how to telework. So we, we've been able to do that. But in all seriousness, I, I think in the next year or two, this TMA is also going to be looking at commuter incentives. Are there programs that, that we can use to encourage employees to maybe... Uh, not drive their car every day, maybe take the bus once a week or ride the bike or walk. And, and we're excited about the potential to slowly shift and change um, behavior for, for transportation. And it, it's the right thing for the environment. We think it's the right thing for, for equity and inclusion, but it also can save people money, can save businesses money. And it, it lets us solve for the parking demand without building giant parking garages that there's there's questions out there, you know, nationally and internationally about how much longer are we going to need structured parking? Mm. And, and we don't, especially I, we don't want to be the last idiots to build a giant <laughs> empty garage. Um, but we also don't want to wait 20 years and not support development in the interim. So we're trying to build those parking garages very strategically and sparingly. Awesome. So um, as we finish up today, I wanted to see if there are ways that our listeners can support downtown in general and specifically the Downtown Memphis Commission. Yeah, as I, as I said earlier, I'll repeat it again. Please shop local. Please come to downtown businesses, downtown restaurants, downtown retail. Well, Brett, that's all. We so appreciated everything that you've shared. Um, as I said, I hope that our listeners go downtown. Uh, I hope that you buy downtown, consider living downtown. Um, you can learn more about the work of the Downtown Memphis Commission at downtownmemphis.com. I believe there there's also uh, a listing of downtown businesses and places where you can um, invest in our downtown local businesses. So I hope that you guys get involved. Thank you for all that you've done for downtown, you and all of the DMC uh, team. You guys are such a creative and passionate bunch of folks, and we're just really lucky to have you doing your work here in Memphis. Yeah, thank you very much. We love what we do every day, and, and I think that that's obvious to people that work with us, but thank you for saying it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy holidays. We'll see you soon in the new year. All right, you too. Happy holidays. Bye. Happy holidays. All right. Well, that is our episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Thank you for joining us this week. I hope everybody has a happy, safe, quiet holiday break. Um, as you are thinking about your end of year giving and just as your heart is brimming over with all of the generosity that I know you all are feeling, I would remind you that New Memphis is a nonprofit. And if you love the work that you hear us uh, push in front of you every week on Meanwhile in Memphis, please consider making a gift to New Memphis. If you go to newmemphis.org, that is where you can learn more about all of our programs. You can peruse our impact report to get a sense of how your dollars will be invested in the coming year. Um, but what we know here at New Memphis is that we have to invest in our city's most important resource. It's people. People are what power great organizations and successful cities. And as we continue to pursue economic development, a talented, connected, and growing workforce is totally crucial as we think about growing Memphis. So if this is important to you, if you're thinking about Memphis is a place that you want to continue to see be livable and lovable. Make a gift to New Memphis this year. A donation of any size makes a difference. We appreciate it. Again, go to newmemphis.org forward slash donate. 
And as always, we hope you like what you heard today. And if so, we would ask that you consider calling in to leave us a voicemail to let us know. Which interviews did you really enjoy? Did you learn something new about our great city, something new to celebrate as you go into a new year? We would really love to hear from you. Just call 901-460-3031. Just leave us a quick message and tell us what you loved about the show, and we would greatly appreciate it. That way you can hear more of all the things you love and less of the things you don't. (laughs) So one more time, that number is 901-460-3031. Thanks. All right, Memphis, until next week, thank you to WYXR Radio, to OAM Network for helping uh, produce and edit our our, uh, episode today, and we'll see you next week. Happy holidays. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins-Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.